when somebody comes who's never really been a part of a Messianic community before and doesn't have Jewish background, my encouragement to them is come through a whole year cycle of holidays. And as you're doing that, ask the Lord if this is something that he wants you to be a part of. How do you navigate those like cultural issues right in the middle of that liberal area. My favorite thing is when people say to me, I've never met a rabbi like you. I didn't know you could also like watch The Walking Dead and also like the Bible. If somebody believes in Jesus, then they're gonna be opposed to me as a person. I enjoy proving that wrong. Welcome to another episode of A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. I'm your host, Carly Berna. And I'm Ezra Benjamin. Ezra and I are a Jew and a Gentile who both believe in Jesus, believe that God is doing something unique with the Jewish people around the world, and we're here to inform you on matters affecting you as a Christian in the world. Today we're going to talk about Messianic congregations in America, probably a topic you haven't heard a lot about. You'll hear from the leader of a growing Messianic congregation in Seattle, Washington, and you'll learn what's prompting high potential young Jewish leaders to plant new Messianic congregations rather than joining the staff of large churches in America, what they're doing to reach their own people and why more and more non-Jewish people, including Christians, are getting involved. Let's discuss. Great. Well, we're going to jump right in here, Carly. Our guest today is Rabbi Matt Rosenberg. Matt leads a growing Messianic Jewish synagogue in North Seattle called Restoration. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, Rabbi. Well, let's jump right in. Tell us a little bit about your own background. You have a bit of a unique story among uh, a lot of North American Messianic Jewish leaders in that you're not first generation. Your parents are actually Jewish believers as well. Yeah, my dad is Jewish and my mom is Italian, raised Roman Catholic. Right. In high school, they ran away together in the 70s. They were hippies in a Volkswagen van and drove from New Jersey to Oregon, where all hippies went. Right. And they actually came to the Lord at a four-square church in Ashland, Oregon. Wow. Um, there was actually a coffee house back in the day, and they went because the food was free. Mm-hmm. The pastor said... Uh, somebody in here has not accepted Jesus as their savior, and we're not leaving until they do. And okay. my dad went, all right. So my dad accepted the Lord. And he knew pretty quickly that he was called to his own people, to the Jewish people. Right. And soon after, my brother was, my older brother was three, and I was five weeks old. Mm-hmm. when uh, we drove cross country to join one of the first Messianic congregations in the country was in Philadelphia, uh, still there, Beth Yeshua, and we've been part of Messianic congregations ever since. So my parents then planted their own Messianic congregation in New York on Long Island when I was 10, and I'm actually one of four Messianic rabbis in my family. My dad leads uh, Shuv Israel in New York. My uncle leads Beth Zion in New Jersey. My brother leads Adat Hatikva in Chicago, uh, north of Chicago, and then I lead Restoration in Seattle. So it's pretty cool. That is cool. So you have the whole country covered between the the Rosenberg family there. Yeah, we just need a Rosenberg who leads a congregation in Texas, I feel like, and then it would go like round edges. Exactly. Or Hawaii if somebody's feeling so-called. Yeah, I would suffer to do that. <laughs> I think we all would. Yeah. Good. So Rabbi Matt, you're in Seattle now. 
not Long Island, couldn't be farther away. What drew you to Seattle to plant a congregation there? Well, I worked, I worked with my dad for five years as his assistant rabbi. And, uh, you know, the old business idea that you shouldn't work with family is probably true in ministry as well. Right. Uh, and I love my parents very much, but we couldn't work together. So I looked for my own um, congregation to lead. I ended up at a congregation in Maryland for a year. It was actually okay. nine months and three months severance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then <laughs> I was looking for another congregation and this guy named Paul Stein, mm-hmm. uh, who was leading this small fellowship, reached out to me and asked me if I would come to Seattle. Okay. And I didn't know anything about Seattle other than the Seattle Supersonics, John mm-hmm. Kemp, and came out here. And we've now, we've been here, April 1st was, uh, we moved to Seattle 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. To, to lead this little fellowship, which we turned into a congregation and spent through a lot of changes in 10 years. But sure. mostly I feel like we're just we're just getting started. So sure. I, n- I never imagined that I would end up here. I, I was supposed to stay in New York my whole life. That was the those were the marching orders. Sure. <laughs> well, congratulations on 10 years in Seattle. That's a big milestone. And yeah. uh, how, you know, sometimes it's difficult to maybe tell our parents, I'm not going to do what you've done in the way you thought I would. I still want to honor you, but I'm going to venture out and do my own thing. In Jewish culture, as you know, and I know, a big part of the culture is honoring the parents, even yeah. when uh, it's difficult to be around family all the time. What does that look like in your own ministry? How do you honor your parents' legacy, we can say, of planting congregations while doing something that maybe looks very different? Yeah, I think there's the old like, you know, we stay the, the phrase is we stand on other people's shoulders. Mm-hmm. And the idea is when you're, you know, I put my kids on my shoulders and they were little and, you know, they can see much further than they could not being on my shoulders. Right. Sure. Um, so I think for my parents generation, they were trying to figure out, you know, my dad was on both sides, the Jewish people, family members, like their response was, if you believe in Jesus, you're not Jewish anymore. That's it. You're a Christian now. Right. Exactly. Most Christians, most Christians response to them was, well, you're a Christian now. You don't really need to be Jewish. So right. both sides were saying either way, you're not Jewish anymore. And I think my dad's generation had to wrestle through, well, if Jesus, Jesus isn't, it's not that he was Jewish. It's that he still is Jewish if he's still alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all the disciples were Jewish. And the more we read, you know, they read the New Testament and saw Passover and Yom Kippur and like all these Jewish expressions, Shabbat and circumcision and all of these things that are norm normative in Judaism seem to be we can still be Jews, right? Believe in Jesus, right? So for for our generation, my identity as a Jew was settled for me. Like mm-hmm. I I don't I've never had to wrestle. I know people. There are people like I've had people laugh in my face and tell me if your mom's not Jewish then you're not Jewish either. I can't believe sure. you're, you sure. know, all those conversations. Right. Uh, but in standing on their shoulders, I think a lot of it is identity. So what happens when you're secure in identity rather than trying to figure identity out, you can ask different questions. Like, right. I'm not asking questions like, can mm-hmm. I have a Torah scroll and can I, meet on Saturday and can I keep kosher? Like those are all settled 
for me. Sure, sure. Um, because your parents blazed the blazed the trail in a way. Yeah, yeah. And there's honor in like you helped me settle those things. The difficulty is some of the things you decided I'm going to change now. And right. you know, I, I mean, generally, I think my parents have responded positively. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think it was hard. You know, I started preaching in like if you watch my sermons online, you know, I preach in like basketball jerseys and Jordans and I don't wear sure. a tali, which is the prayer shawl that mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. they preach. And I think some of those things were like, I'm not sure this is okay. Right. Uh, it's kind of the response from a lot of people, my parents age in their sure. 60s and 70s. It's such uh, a departure from what they learned and made a part of their own traditions. And it's difficult to. Right. Kids depart from the traditions in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think we're that far apart in a lot of, in most things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had a conversation with my parents years ago mm-hmm. uh, when I first came out here and I was changing the, the look of the service and changing some of the things we do in our gathering on Shabbat. Mm-hmm. The comment was, I don't think you're doing the things we taught you to do. And my mm-hmm. response was, well, I love my wife. <laughs> I love my children, right? And uh, and I'm serving the Lord, and I feel like those are the things you taught me to do, right? And they exactly. were like, "Yeah, I, I guess." <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> well, you got the basics down. Maybe not the uh, okay. thing. Okay, right. then I guess we're proud of you. That makes sense. Right? Exactly. <laughs> so good. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, Ezra mentioned the name of your congregation is Restoration, which isn't yeah. like, as a Christian, every Messianic congregation I've heard of is like Shalom, a city, Shalom, some other Hebrew word, you know. Yeah. So why did yeah. you choose that name? Was it intentional? Did you leave out kind of the Hebrew totally. word? You know, what was the purpose? Yeah. yeah. When I got here, the fellowship was called Beit Messiah, which is a really funny combination of two things that don't belong together. Bait is Hebrew for house and Messiah is English for Messiah. So the combination of those two things was already weird. Beth Messiah, which a lot of Messianic congregations are called is it's still Hebrew, but it's accepted as an English form of the word house. So there's a lot of reform synagogues named Beth Israel or Beth Shalom or, Mm -hmm. um, and I just found with the Hebrew names in particular, you know, like my brother's congregation is Adat Hatikva, and my dad's a Shuva Yisrael. And the number one question from people when you tell them is, how do you spell that? <laughs> even even Jews, because yeah. do you put in the H, do you leave the H out? Do you like, there's all these funny, uh, and it just dawned on me in talking with my, my best friends who are pastors, you know, if I'm gonna kind of form my own vision and do the things that I wanna do, I guess the first thing is I speak English. Sure. And I'm ministering in English and speaking to people who speak English. Yeah. So I just I stopped using like even Passover. You know, we don't call it a we don't call it a Passover Seder because what does Seder mean to people? We call it a Passover celebration or a Passover meal, you know, and just thinking if we're trying to reach people, most Jewish people my age are are not real connected to Hebrew as a language and, and to those expressions. So I think for my dad's generation, it was nostalgic. Mm-hmm. And nostalgia was they all grew up in synagogue. They all grew connected to synagogue. And so we're going to name our congregations 
things that are meaningful to Jewish people. And we're going to, you know, do things that are nostalgic for their generation. And what we have now is, is our generations, younger generations that have no exposure to synagogue at all. And we're still trying to speak to them. So uh, it's why I stopped wearing a talit when I preach. You know, talit's the prayer shawl that, that we wear during a synagogue service. And I, and I thought if my messages are going to go out on video, we're going to post them on YouTube. I want to remove some of the religious um, kind of trappings just to make it more accessible to different groups of people that are watching that may not, that probably won't connect to a symbol like that. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it was a similar idea and, and restoration is just, it's the hope of what God is doing for the, for Jewish people. He's restoring us to the faith of our fathers. And it's a deeper work that God wants to do on the inside of every individual, which is, you know, heal us and redeem us. And so mm -hmm. restor restoration just made sense to what we were trying to accomplish. Right. Yeah. So would you say that the purpose of your congregation is to reach Christians or Jews or a combination? Well, our purpose is to reach people who are far from God. Okay. So they might have identified with one or the other growing up, but don't necessarily identify with either. And I think we have an opportunity to minister to families that have a mix of those traditions. One parent is Jewish and the other grew up evangelical or Catholic. Or I think there's, I think in the prior generation, the goal was to reach our own people. Um, mm -hmm. I, I see all through the prophet Isaiah and certainly in the, in the New Testament, which is not a Christian book, it's still part of the Hebrew scriptures because they're all Jews, yeah. that the call of the Jewish people all the way back to Abraham is to be a blessing to the nations, which mm -hmm. is where the word Gentile comes from. And I've found that the more we reach everybody, the more we're also, we'll also reach our own people, particularly in our generations, because I, I find very few Jewish people who want to be in a room full of only Jews. Like it's just not, it's just not a reality. And if our faith, you know, our faith is not just for us, it's for a, to be a blessing to the whole world. So uh, I feel like we focus probably, well, our mission at restoration is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Yeshua. Okay. And the people is intentional because it's, male and female, it's Jew and Gentile, it's all people. Mm -hmm. um, and we want people to be equipped to be more devoted to our Messiah than we currently are, which applies to me as a rabbi and applies to somebody who's brand new in their faith. Mm -hmm. as well. So how would a Christian get involved in your congregation? Well, we have, I think we have plenty of people um, in our community that are gentiles who participate we still get like the random phone call and email that says i'm a gentile am i allowed to attend mm -hmm. which is also by the way one of the reasons why we found that calling it synagogue was confusing to people because yeah. for some reason people think even gentiles think uh, a synagogue is only for jews right, right. so part right. of it was okay well if everybody actually thinks that then we're gonna have to shift that's why our name is just restoration Although you'll see a messianic synagogue on some things, we call our our Saturday service is called our Shabbat gathering. And, you know, if people 
want to participate, we just encourage everybody to participate the same way. We we're pretty loose on most rules. Uh, maybe that other messianic congregations would kind of enforce in the beginning. Um, we have a lot of variations of like people who like when it comes to food, um, don't keep kosher to all kinds of versions of kosher. And our encouragement to people is understand why you're doing what you're doing and don't enforce things on other people that are things that you want to choose to do for you and your family. Like we can all coexist um, in a community and have different forms of observance. So we have some Gentile families that, you know, eat pork and do their thing and still participate and nobody's pressuring them to stop because we don't think they should stop. You know, but on a basic level, it's come to, well, not right now in the middle of this virus because there's no service to come to, but, uh, <laughs> you know, come to the service, participate, grow, contribute, take care of people, you know, think of others more than you think of yourself mm-hmm. and jump into the, the things that we observe as a community. You know, I find most Christians are naturally because they read about the holidays in their Bibles or interested in the holidays and how they kind of play out. So when somebody comes who's never really been a part of a Messianic community before and doesn't have Jewish background, my encouragement to them is come through a whole year cycle of holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you're doing that, ask the Lord if this is something you want to, that he wants you to be a part of. And we've had people go through that and go, it was really interesting and really helpful. And I'd love to stay connected. Um, but I think I belong in a church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's an awesome um, realization. And then mm-hmm. others who say, yes, yeah, I, I really want to be a part of this and I uh, want to figure out what that looks like in my daily life and practice. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's good advice. Um, one of the things I would imagine is a challenge is that restoration is in Seattle, which is one of a very liberal areas. So how do you navigate those like cultural issues right in the middle yeah. of that? Yeah, I kind of love it. Actually, I love being, I think by nature, I, I was designed to stand out. So I have this quote actually right here from Dr. Seuss. Why fit in when you were born to stand out? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I like when I meet when I meet with people. I I think it's funny to have conversations with people. Like I'll tell you a, a funny story is we were at an auction for our kids' uh, public school, and they actually asked me to MC the auction, which is super funny. And uh, I went over. There's a my my one of my kids' friends. Their parents are lesbians, and they're both Jewish. Mm-hmm. So we were at a um, we were at the auction, and the drinks were all free. But I went over and uh, I said as a joke, can I buy you a drink? And, you know, they kind of laughed. And then I said, you know, we're two of like, two of the smallest minorities of the Jewish people. And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, you're a lesbian and I'm messianic. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just, you know, we all just like laughed and, ah, and then, you know, like, and then it opens doors to other conversations just because yeah. I'm not, I don't know, I'm not really afraid of things that I, disagree with and would rather engage in it. My kids have incredible perspective growing up very outside of any kind of bubble in terms of the people they know and connect with. And my favorite thing is when people say to me, I've never met a rabbi like you. 
because I feel like a compliment? <laughs> is that yeah. well either way it doesn't matter either way but generally it's like you're really interesting and I didn't yeah. think people were rabbis and and, and normal is is usually the like yeah. you know like I didn't know you could also like watch The Walking Dead and also like the Bible. Like I didn't know those were and right. and and like whiskey and you know what I mean? Like it's like this funny navigation of they've heard and understood that that if somebody believes in Jesus, then they're gonna be opposed to me as a person. Right. Yeah. Um, so I just I enjoy kind of proving that wrong and yeah, we actually my buddy and I, he's a pastor in Green Bay of a large church. We're, we're launching a podcast called, um, called the pastor, uh, a rabbi and a pastor walk into a bar. And uh, the idea is to, we drink whiskey and discuss everything, including the Bible, but also like movies and TV and sports and, you know, because we're like normal people that also love jesus yeah so you know it turns <laughs> i think that's uh, back to the things with my parents it's like i don't know if that's a good idea for Can you, you know, do that? i hear you right right so yeah. it's kind of a fun it's a willingness to have uh unexpected conversations and rabbi matt so, we're going to take a break here but we can't yeah. wait to hear about maybe one of the most unexpected conversations, a dialogue you started recently with one of the premier pastors in the United States of America that actually began over a disagreement. And before we tell you who that pastor is, I'm going to hand it over to Carly. Thanks, Ezra. So we just want to share that if you love coffee, you want to support Israel and the Jewish people, we have a great opportunity for you to do that. One of the countries we actually travel to and do medical outreaches at is Ethiopia. Um, we bring medical care, physical care to them, and also spiritual care. Uh, we actually serve the lost tribes of Israel, and you can help do that by partnering with Jewish Voice as we go on these outreaches. So not only do we minister to Ethiopia, but Ethiopia also has great coffee. Amen. So we're offering a premier Ethiopian coffee roast if you become an ongoing subscriber of this podcast. So for an ongoing donation, you can receive one of our Ethiopian coffee blends. You'll also be helping the Jewish people be physically healed through medical care and the opportunity for them to hear the gospel. Um, we'd love for you to partner with us. If you're interested in doing this, you can go to a Jew and a Gentile discuss.org and be part of what God's doing around the world while drinking your daily cup of coffee. Great. Well, let's jump right back into it, Carly. Rabbi Matt, you've been in an intentional and ongoing dialogue for, I think, a couple of years now, from what I remember, with Pastor Andy Stanley, uh, one of the largest churches in the U.S. based out of Atlanta. Is that right? Yeah. You got into that dialogue because you heard a message that bothered you. And tell us a little bit about that. Well, actually, I would say I started reading um, Andy Stanley's books and, and listening to him, um, like 15 years ago. Okay. And, uh, a lot of the things that I've done in ministry, I've, I've taken from him. Mm -hmm. Um, like I, I actually just started preaching with the TV on a TV stand just this last week. And that's something he's been doing for years. Right. And I noticed his recent sermon series, he has two TVs and I texted him and I was like, bro, 
I just got one TV and caught up. Now you're preaching with two TVs. It's ridiculous. Showed you up. Uh, the bar has but, been set. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, so I, I'm actually, I've, I've been a fan of his and, and um, he wrote this book called Choosing to Cheat a long time ago. And the idea was you're either going to cheat your family or work and you have to choose which one you're going to cheat. Interesting. And, because he's a pastor's, he was a pastor's kid. I mean, he still is a pastor's kid. Grew mm-hmm. up in, and then the way he kind of modeled some of the things he shifted for his family. Mm-hmm. Um, that book like radically changed the trajectory of, of the kind of father and um, husband and, mm-hmm. uh, and boundaries for congregational leadership. So then recently he wrote a book called um, Irresistible, and then did is you know has been doing probably several sermon series that kind of led to that book, and we were in a meeting. Well, Ezra and I were in a meeting where a bunch of messianics. Somebody played a clip, and everybody freaked out. And then there was a conversation of we should have somebody reach out to him. And I thought to myself, you know, I should reach out to him because one, because I really love most of everything he does, um, right? And would just love to connect with him. Anyway, um, mm-hmm. but then too, I was, I thought, I mean, I should reach out to him because I, I wanted to know that there's similar to what we were talking about before, that there's normal messianic people and not people that would just read or listen to something and have never heard of him before and then attack him based on what he was saying. Right. Um, so I, uh, we had a mutual friend who opened the door uh, for me, made an introduction. We had um, a long lunch together and and have been talking ever kind of ever since. And i he's incredibly gracious, mm-hmm. um, you know, with the amount of influence that he actually does carry. Sure. He really didn't have to make any time for me. And when I first started interacting, my wife was like, Laura said, listen, don't text him too much because yeah. Yeah. And then, and then it was like, I think, I think we're dating, you know, like, uh, like how much, how much, is, how much is too much contact? Um, right. Uh, but he's been super gracious and helpful. And, um, he came out in September. He did a part of his book tour was out here in Seattle. So I took two of my guys to listen to him teach for the whole day. And then he spent like probably about an hour and a half just with the three of us after he was done. You know, generally, I think like a lot of people think he's just never really been exposed to Messianic Jewish theology. He's never, he had told me when we had lunch that I was the first Messianic rabbi that he actually like talked theology with. Um, wow. And I said, good choice. <laughs> um, but <laughs> uh, if, if you have to have it first, I mean, come on. Yeah. So I think the dialogue has been, has been mutually beneficial, which surprises me <laughs> and, and then he would benefit from me but uh. sure the context of all of this rabbi matt is as you said uh messianic jewish leadership conference uh we all heard a message that we thought uh that kind of sounds like it could be replacement theology for those listening who don't know what that means it's the idea that god has for a number of reasons, kind of said, I'm done with the Jewish people, I'm done with Israel, and maybe I'm even done with the Old Testament, I'm doing something new that's detached from what I began doing. And uh, there were elements of what concerned us, because it could have gone that way, and what uh, what Andy Stanley was saying, 
many of our reaction was, we have to stop this. And you were the, you were the designated uh, spokesperson for the Messianic movement at that point to, to go to Andy and say, we have to stop this. But you chose to go in a different direction. So how, what did that dialogue look like? How, how do you broach the subject with one of the premier pastors in the United States and say, I think I, we may not agree on everything? Or how, how does that work? I mean, I think like in every relationship, uh, I think people that generally frustrate me just uh, kind of in a, on a natural level is people often don't read the book or listen to the sermon. Hmm. They hear from somebody else mm-hmm. what they think that person heard, mm-hmm. and then they write articles and attack people. You know, that, that way of living just, I mean, it's not biblical, first of all, but on a kind of a just on a human being level, it's just an awful way to live. Mm. Um, And, you know, I think for us as a Messianic movement, I think the hope of all Messianic Jewish leaders is that church leaders would hear from us of the things that we think are missing in Christian theology, Mm -hmm. things that have been misunderstood um, over the years. um, And, that if everyone could correct some of those things, and I mean, there's disagreement in our movement, like there is in every movement. Nobody, I don't sure. 100% agree with myself all the time. Um, but being able to have a dialogue of honor, um, which is why it was important for me that he understood that I wasn't, in, I didn't want to have a relationship to correct his book. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I want to have a relationship because I think if he's willing, having a relationship with him would be worthwhile. Um, you know, so I think I generally try to approach everything that way. Um, sure. And I, I mean, it's, it's, it's really not an, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit of an extremist. So everything's bigger that choosing the cheat book really did change my life. But I also love, I love the way he preaches. I love the way he teaches. I think he's an incredible communicator. And I learned a lot from preaching by watching preachers that I connect with Mm -hmm. Um, and his sermon style and the way that conversational way that he speaks is, is something that I try to emulate. So that's really where the conversation started. And then it was like, uh, I also have your book in my bag and I highlighted some things that I think aren't right. Um, And to my surprise, the willingness to interact with that without, feeling condemned on his part or like mm-hmm. like who are you to tell me i mean the guy's written like 50 books and he's been in ministry for 30 years and sure. his dad's charles stanley like the guys it's not new at, at this sure. stuff. uh so you know i just found him genuinely interested in what i disagreed with and why which as a leader made me think oh man i wonder if i come across that way to people because <laughs> like, right. some people come and they say you know I, I found that there's a deep connection to shofars and the way that I live. And I go, just get out of my office. This isn't going to work. You know, like I'm not really interested. Right. Um, and, you know, he just didn't, he, he responded, continues to respond super positively to. Sure. And so. so your willingness to dialogue with him from a place of honor uh, in a way made you Andy Stanley's rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, how, how does that rabbis, I don't know how many other rabbis he has in his life but right well, you were at least the first if not the 
were at least the first. So at, at one point in the conversation, I remember you were telling me about this lunch, Rabbi Matt, and at one point, Andy Stanley said something very similar to, hey, you have a lot of potential. Why are you leading not the largest congregation in the world, a Messianic congregation, when you could do something much larger in the Christian, in the evangelical community? I mean, I don't have the wording exactly right, but he put that to you. Yeah, it was like, uh, it was like, why, why is a passionate, a young, passionate, um, engaging leader? And inside I was like, that's how you view me? Um, <laughs> somebody likes me? Uh, and like, why wouldn't you just lead a large church for the sake of influence? Right. Yeah. And for the sake of our Christian audience listening, answer that question like you told him. Why not? Why why not do something bigger and yeah, better? I mean, my initial response was I, I think if I'm looking for influence, I I think lunches like this are influence. Mm-hmm. And you know, he, he kind of laughed and you know, but uh I think uh yeah, it's it's an interesting I mean it is an interesting question because I certainly could have a much bigger salary doing not specifically messianic jewish ministry sure uh, and i think there is more it probably in some ways more influence in being able to do that but mm-hmm. you know i think everybody has to follow the calling of what god actually wants us to do okay and i'm not opposed to that for other people mm-hmm. um, you know i think there are some jewish people who belong as pastors and churches. Mm-hmm. I don't think everybody has to be a part of a messianic community. And, uh, you know, I, I think it has to do with what God is actually asking us to do in seasons of our lives. And, and I think I'm right where he wants me to be most of the time. I mean, some days I feel like giving up, but that's different. That's why I'm in counseling. Sure. Join the club. Join the club. 99% of our audience is relating to you at this moment. So, yeah. It's a good thing. Yeah. So the funny what, thing is I told him I told him that I I I'm writing at at the time I was just writing it, but I said, you know, I'm I'm writing a book called Jesus Never Said Anything New. And he went, uh oh. <laughs> and I thought you know, it would be funny if I could get that as a blurb on the back of the book where it just says, uh-oh, in quotes, and then says, Pastor Stan, you know, Pastor Andy Stanley, North Point Community Church. There you go. Um, I thought, I thought that would be funny. But <laughs> Until you get that blurb printed, tell us a little bit about that. It's a bit of an inflammatory uh, title. What's the premise of the book? Yeah. Well, I don't think Jesus ever said anything new. I think generally the idea for most Christians is Jesus is an innovator. Mm-hmm. It took something that was dead and right. turned it into something else. Okay. Um, and whether people understand the ins and outs of replacement theology, the idea that the church has replaced the Jewish people as the people of God, or Christianity has replaced uh, Judaism in terms mm-hmm. of practice. Uh, right. There's, there's, nobody can really get away from that 2,000 years later, right? It's deeply ingrained in everything that we do and say. And so part of that is this need for Jesus to be totally brand new. And a lot of that, what people have turned into, this is the new thing that he said has become things, led church fathers to create totally new things. There's something in there, like we've made too many things new based on this idea. And I don't think those Easter's wrong 
for people to do. But mm-hmm. in terms of context, the idea is to help Christians understand that contextually Jesus was Jewish, is still Jewish. Mm-hmm. His disciples were all Jewish. They, they still observed Judaism um, and they tried to flesh out. It's a flip side of what, we be, what people generally believe today. Mm-hmm. So when I meet people and, and I tell them what I do, I'm a Messianic rabbi, what's that? Well, I believe in Jesus. How can you be Jewish and believe in Jesus? It's still a question. But for right. the original disciples of Jesus, the question was, how could somebody be a Gentile and follow Jesus? They sure. have a whole council on it in Jerusalem in Acts 15, where the question is, what do Gentiles have to do? Sure. Like, do they, do they become Jewish? Mm-hmm. Are they like it was so somehow 2000 years later, it's flipped upside down, right? How could somebody yeah. be a Gentile and believe in Jesus to how could somebody be Jewish and believe in Jesus? Right. Um, so the idea of Jesus never said anything new is trying to reframe the idea that he's actually not an innovator at all. Sure. He comes in a long line of prophets calling the Jewish people back to the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And that he is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And that he first calls Jewish people back to himself and then calls people from every nation back to himself. And none of what they say and do is new because it all has precedent in biblical history and redemptive history. Everything's connected to something that came before it. It's it's just, and people get, you know, but didn't Jesus say, I give you a new commandment? Mm-hmm. love one another as I have loved you. Sure. Um, which is generally part of Andy Stanley's point in that book is he's going off of that verse that he, Jesus mm-hmm. said the word new in Greek and in Greek it says new. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. And he's saying, I know it's hard to understand how to love your neighbor, but just do it. Love people the way I've loved you for the last three years. Right. Like that's new in terms of framing it's like this yeah. virus, right? Everybody, there's no expert on how to deal with this virus. Sure. Uh, there is, the, there's no experts in what, what do we do now? Because mm-hmm. nobody's ever done it before. But sure. in 1918, there was a Spanish flu epidemic and it happened before, but in the lifetime of everybody who lives right now, it never happened before. Sure. Right. You go back to the Spanish flu, churches closed, schools closed, everything closed. Right. But nobody's alive now who dealt with it then. Mm-hmm. So even though it happened before, um, it's it's it both is something that's happened before and also feels new because sure. it's never happened to any of us. Sure. So there was significance in the disciples actually walking with the Messiah and God in flesh. Mm-hmm. That made what he said new because, well, you should probably listen to him because it seems like storms listen to him and dead people are alive now and mute right. can speak and, right. uh, you know, all of those things. Um, mm-hmm. But the content of what he taught is similar to the content of every rabbi in the first century. You know, all the rabbis taught basically all the same things um, that Yeshua taught. The significance is the authority with which he walked mm-hmm. and taught. So uh, people got frustrated because they're like, you know, you keep saying people can ask for forgiveness of sins, but who are you? And his response was, well, I mean, Abraham knows me. So you guys figure it out. What do you mean Abraham knows you? Abraham was dead a long time ago. Um, right. He says, well, 
uh, you know, I was there before Abraham. And they're like, um. (laughs) Yeah. Is this a mic drop or should we stone you and throw you off the cliff? Exactly. Right. Right. So Jewish people fleshing out what it looked like to believe in the Jewish Messiah. And that's, you know, one of the interesting things, Rabbi Matt, in our generation is that a lot of us, you and me included, are the product of what's called mixed marriages. For our audience who doesn't know, that's where one parent is Jewish and one is not. Uh, You're also in a mixed marriage. You're Jewish and your wife doesn't come from a Jewish background. And so not only fleshing out what does it look like to be Jewish and believe in Jesus, but how do I raise a Jewish family when uh, my spouse isn't bringing that to the table? They're not coming from that background. What does that look like for you and Laura? How do you how do you pass on Jewish identity to your kids and integrate that into your marriage and family? Yeah, I mean, I think it happens, um, you know, well, so I don't believe in conversion Mm -hmm. in the sense that. Gentiles can become Jews and Jews can become right. Gentiles. Right. So um, I don't think it's found in this in the scriptures. I think it comes out of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea in Judaism that the mother is oh, is the one that carries Judaism through. Sure. I mean, we have patriarchs for a reason, and all the patriarchs married Gentiles. So mm-hmm. people will say have laughed at me because I have a Gentile mother. Right. Um, and then, you know, they're like, well, then you're not even Jewish. And then I say, like, well, then neither is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. Right. None of them are Jewish either. Right. Well, their wives all converted. Really? Because I don't see that in the Torah. Yeah. You know, well, the rabbis say, well, I don't, you know, I guess you could put your trust in those guys, but it's not actually what the text says, you know, and then they just fuck away going, I don't know. That was confusing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, Next topic. Next topic. But practically, there's a kind of a practical form of conversion is marriage. Um, So my wife never became Jewish, but she birthed Jewish children. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, uh, you know, there are funny conversations when my kids were real little um, because it was like, well, one of my kids one time said, my my daughter Siri said, she was probably six or seven, and she Mm -hmm. said, she said, so me and you are Jewish and mom and Emma and Ty are not Jewish, right? <laughs> and I was like, well, no, I appreciate that you think it's just me and you. But, uh, you know, your siblings are and your mom is not. Um, but we're all the same family. Like we're all, right. and we all do the same things. Um so I think identity matters to the point where people need to be able to claim what they are and know what they are. There's a lot of identity confusion. Mm-hmm. Um, people, there are Jews who don't want to be Jews anymore. There are Gentiles who want to be Jewish. And God doesn't make mistakes in, in families that he put us into. He doesn't value right. one more than the other. Right. Um, it's part of understanding calling and, and what you're supposed to do with your life is understanding who God has made you to be. Um, right. So, I mean, my wife does all the same things, most of the same things that I do. She's in culinary school right now. And mm-hmm. we've had this funny conversation where she was like, you know, I can't entirely keep kosher when I'm learning to cook. Cause I have to taste all the food. Right. And I was like, huh. All right. <laughs> you know, like, I think there's what am I going to say? 
Well, and she's also not Jewish, so sure. I'm not like it's a different conversation in terms of right. You know, I don't think it changes her dedication to sure um, to the Lord or to our family or to Messianic Judaism. Um, sure. You know, but there are things that you just you you like have to navigate and conversations you ongoing conversations you have to have because we right. think right. about things that not everybody's thinking about. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And we're, we're going to have one final question. We're going to take a break here for a minute and then we're going to have one final question for you, Rabbi Matt, for our audience who is trying to navigate. Should I visit a Messianic congregation? What should my relationship be to Jewish believers? All of that. Before we do that, just a reminder, we stand with ministries all over the world who are ministering to Jewish people. And we want you to get involved with us. If you're uh, liking what you're hearing and want to keep this content rolling out with more episodes of this podcast, and more importantly than that even, if you want to see Jewish people ministered to physical, emotional, spiritual needs in the name of Jesus, in the name of Yeshua, get involved with us for your monthly partnership. We want to send you a gift of some excellent coffee. If you love coffee like I do, or even more, which is probably impossible, but... uh, Feel free to challenge me on that if you like. If you love coffee or you know someone who does, uh, think about getting involved with us. We want to send you some coffee every month just as a thank you for your partnership. All the details are on the website, a Jew and a Gentile discuss.org. All one word, a Jew and a Gentile discuss.org. So, Carly, final question here for Rabbi Matt as we wrap up today. Go for it. Yeah, so we get a lot of questions um, from listeners and specifically Christians because that's our main audience. So uh, speak to our audience for a minute. They're thinking of visiting a Messianic congregation in their own area. Uh, They're not sure it's for them. They've never been. They just, you know, kind of like we said, they think maybe it's weird or off-putting. You know, why should they give a Messianic congregation a try? Yeah, I think there are elements. I mean, I think the natural fit are things like Passover meals. Uh, celebration of holidays that you wouldn't necessarily find at churches. Um, you know, I think you can easily go to events that are happening at Messianic congregations in your in your city um, or nearby. I think different leaders respond differently to different people, but mm-hmm. you know, generally, like any other congregation in the United States, everybody's welcome. And uh, we want people to understand Jewish context. Um, I think uh, sometimes what I run into, Carly, with there are people who come that are not Jewish and are angry at pastors or the church for not teaching them the truth. And that's not a healthy way to live either or, or a healthy reason to visit. A messianic congregation is because if you we're all human beings and i think some people come with 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 pretty high bar of you're gonna set me straight Mm -hmm. um and teach me the truth and you know there's ultimately gonna be things you don't like at messianic congregations too you should probably work that out for yourself but you know we're not we're not trying to exist as communities that think everyone else is wrong and we're the most right yeah. And so everybody should come to us. We, we're part of the larger body of Messiah. And there's uh, a ton of, I mean, in Seattle, I'm part of a pastor's group that meets for lunch once a month, about 20 other congregations. 
and um, there are great churches. And people ask me, you know, where should I go? I I give them those options too. I think it's just a matter of trying to figure out what you really want. And there are a lot of, I mean, we have people in our community that really are not Jewish, but love worshiping on Saturday and incorporating Hebrew and doing the holidays. And, and if that's something people are interested in, they, they certainly should explore it. Like I said before, I, I think it's good to go, you know, through kind of a whole cycle of holidays and, and ask the Lord, is this something you want me to do? Because mm-hmm. ultimately for any congregation that anybody chooses, you, you, you want to be called to be there and be a part of it. And you want the Lord to yeah. say, this is the community I want you in. I think it's important to wrestle through that. So, but I, you know, I wouldn't be leading a messy congregation if I didn't think it was worth anybody's time. <laughs> sure. Sure. Uh, so I think we have, we have a perspective that's important, an important contribution to the larger body of Messiah, but also understanding that there are contributions from the rest of the body of Messiah that are equally as important as the contribution that we have. Very good. As well. Yeah, that's a great answer. Well, thanks so much for sharing with us on such a wide range of topics. For those listening who want to follow you online, what's the best way to find you? Rav Matt on Instagram, R-A-V-M-A-T-T. Uh, I have a Facebook page, Matt Rosenberg. You can download the Restoration app if you look in your app store of your phone. Just type in Restoration Seattle. Um, all of our sermons are there. ShalomSeattle.com is our website. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a variety of ways to connect. You know, we're we're encouraging people to jump into our sermons and holidays and Passover. And we try to put all that, make that stuff avail- available for free for anybody that's interested. So our app yeah. is, our app is super cool um, and really easy to use and engage in. So awesome. Good. Yeah. Great. Well, for those who want to follow Rabbi Matt, find him online. Um, he has great Facebook posts. I'll just say for myself, because I see them all the time. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us. If you want to hear more episodes, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love if you leave a review, share this podcast with someone you know, or if you have any questions for us, you can submit them on our website at a Jew and a Gentile discuss.org. You can also follow us on social media at a Jew and a Gentile discuss. Thanks for listening to a Jew and a Gentile discuss. Join us next week for another episode. The show has been a production of Jewish Voice Ministries International.